This is Northwest This Week with your host, Mark Christopher. Hi, and welcome to Northwest This Week. It's the top stories selected off of the many desks here at Northwest News Radio through our reporters and news anchors. So this is a way for you to chance up to maybe the stories you didn't hear this past week or maybe only got a headline or two. Here we go for Northwest News. Ahead, Seattle City Council settles on a budget while a proposed grocery store merger gets a congressional hearing. Washington State's Attorney General turns his attention to retail theft. Also, promise and hope thanks to a new experimental Alzheimer's drug. Just some of the stories we're about to share with you. What do you say we get caught up and get to our first story? Weeks of work coming to a close as Seattle City leaders make their final decision on a $7 billion budget. Ryan Harris, Northwest News Radio, has more from that meeting that he attended. The city council first voted to approve a plan to use money from other funds to help fill the $141 million budget hole for this year and even more for next year, including more than $100 million from the so-called Amazon Big Business Tax, also known as Jumpstart. They also approved a $10 increase in the city's car tab fees, which rise to $50 starting in July, with Budget Committee Chair Teresa Mosqueda voting in favor even after saying she doesn't like regressive taxes like these and council member Shama Sawant the lone no vote. Working people have been so outraged by it that the right wing has been able to demagogically and dishonestly use that outrage in repeated attempts to defund transportation. Just like they did in the budget committee, the council voted 6-3 to three to approve the budget with Sawant, Sarah Nelson and Alex Peterson voting no. Ryan Harris, Northwest News Radio. While several communities are cracking down on homeless and Thurston County preparing to offer more flexibility under a newly approved change in law. The Board of County Commissioners voted 2-1 to one to approve the change last week. It will allow some permitting criteria for homeless encampments to be waived during a declared emergency. The commission member who voted against the change said the problem is most of the individuals they're spending the most money on are not from here, but have come here because it's a better environment to be homeless. Craig Withington lives on the streets and spoke with the Olympian. And I, I mean, for me, it's it's like I, I'm I'm really fortunate that, uh, that I'm in the Pacific Northwest. You know, like I I grew up in New England. Uh, like that's that's cold. The change makes some minor adjustments like capping the number of residents in a single encampment at 80. Criteria that may be waived include standards for keeping a log of residents, requiring identification and allowing visitors. Carlene Johnson, Northwest News Radio. A spirited committee debate in Congress this past week over the proposed merger of grocery giants Albertsons and Kroger. For this story, Northwest News Radio's John Lobertini. Albertsons and Kroger claim the merger will give them the buying power to lower prices. Albertson CEO Vivek Sankaran. The best way to compete with megastores like Walmart and highly capitalized online companies like Amazon will be through a merger with Kroger. And even after this merger, Walmart, Costco and Amazon will have nearly three times the share of grocery sales. Job losses are a big concern, but Kroger CEO Rodney McMullen answered that question. After how many layoffs are we talking about? Uh, we will not lay off any frontline workers as a part of this. But Sumit Sharma with Consumer Reports is a skeptic. What the companies are doing today, they might be lowering prices, is what they're doing today. What matters is what the structure of the market will be after these companies merge. Albertsons claims that controversial $4 billion dividend is a thank you of sorts for shareholders who haven't seen an increase in years. John Lobertini, Northwest News Radio. Another story here for Northwest News this week ending for the week of December 3rd. Boeing has an ally in U.S. Senator Maria 
Cantwell as the airplane maker seeks to certify the long-delayed 737 MAX 10. Corwin Hake saying that Cantwell is proposing a clear path with no costly redesign. Let's give a listen. Under Cantwell's amendment, the newest MAX model would go into production without the mandate that Boeing redesign the MAX 10 cockpit to include safety updates required in a law Congress passed two years ago. Boeing says a cockpit pilots are already familiar with would be safer. Former National Transportation Safety Chair Robert Sumwalt agrees, telling the Wall Street Journal, Having commonality between all of the 737's maxes is critical for safety because you don't want pilots being confused at the wrong time. The Seattle Times reports Cantwell's amendment would require Boeing to retrofit all MAX planes of all models with safety upgrades designed to prevent failures implicated in the MAX catastrophe of 2018 and 2019. Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio. It's official. U.S. House Democrats have elected a new set of leaders from a younger generation. Andy Field with a story for this for ABC News and shared this with our listeners. Andy, the headline name, of course, is Hakeem Jeffries. Yeah, this is historic on so many levels here. Hakeem Jeffries, an African-American congressman who has been elected the House Democratic leader, Nancy Pelosi stepping down from her leadership role, which she probably could have easily continued on if she wanted to. But she realized that she is in her 80s, along with Steny Hoyer, who's, uh, I think, just a, a bit older than her. He was second in command in the democratically controlled House. But since they're not going to be in control anymore, they decided this is the time to step down. Akeem Jeffries making history as the first African-American party leader of either party to run uh, control the party inside the House. And if the Democrats take control in two more years, he could likely become the first black speaker of the House. Uh, then there's Catherine Clark. She's been elected as a Democratic whip, which is a nice way of saying she's the one who counts all the heads and makes sure to whip people into line when it comes time to get the votes out. And then Pete Aguilar has been elected the caucus chair. These are all very important positions, and they're all three names that after we talk about it today, you probably won't hear much about for the next two years because they're not in control. They don't get much say in the next House in terms of committee assignments, what legislation comes up, that's all in Republican hands now for the next two years. And speaking of Republicans, Jeffries has suggested he's willing to work with them, and of course we'll see how that all shakes out. Well, the minority party always says that. Uh, the problem is is that the majority party very often doesn't care. If they've got the votes to pass what they want to pass, they'll pass. But in this case, the Democrats control the Senate, so if Republicans truly want to get something passed, they're going to have to make some compromises with Democrats in order to get that bill out of the, the House and into the Senate and into the president's uh, signature. And That's not likely to happen unless Kevin McCarthy can wrangle all the members of his very diverse party get them singing from the same hymnal. It already seems like he may not even do that when it comes time to voting for him as the next House Speaker, because there's a number of Republicans who don't like him very much and want to get some big concessions from him before they give him his vote for House Speaker. Yeah, speaking of that, you know, Democrats have had a long-standing leadership in Congress, very steady, and that contrasts with Republicans who've had a little bit of a bumpier road over the last couple of decades, really. Uh, they have. Uh, you know, some of their House Speakers have left in disgrace. Newt Gingrich, uh, there was a, a, a Speaker, Denny Hastert, who uh, I think actually did some prison time. He was convicted of a child molestation for many years ago. And there's a one step down for, for an adulterous affair. 
Uh, it's been a very checkered past for House speakers and House leaders. Democrats have had a bit more luck in that, although certainly Democrats have had their own scandals, but not at the top leadership positions. ABC's Andy Field with us on the Northwest Newsline. A helping hand for a native tribe in Washington. Manufacturer of Northwest News Radio tells us about one of the nation's largest efforts ever to relocate communities threatened by climate change. The Biden administration will give three tribes millions of dollars to move away from coastal areas or rivers. Those three communities, two in Alaska and the Quinault tribe here on the Washington coast, will each get $25 million to move their key buildings onto higher ground. The federal government will give eight more tribes $5 million each to plan for relocation. The project is funded by the Interior Department. According to the New York Times, the spending is meant to create a blueprint for the federal government to help other communities, native as well as non-tribal, move away from vulnerable areas. Manda Factor, Northwest News Radio. The growing problem of retail theft and especially shoplifting has the attention of Olympia. And as we've been having so many stories about lack of bus drivers, comes a cutback. And we'll get to those stories. Here, though, nearly $16 million was spent by outside groups on Washington's legislative elections. For the story, we go right to Jeff Poljula of Northwest News Radio. It wasn't the most ever spent on races for the state House and state Senate, but it was up there. The New Direction PAC, which supported mostly Democratic candidates, spent more than $5 million, with much of that being used against Representative Jesse Young from Agig Harbor and Senator Simon Sefcik of Ferndale. Both of them lost their races. Meanwhile, Washington Wins spent nearly $3 million against Democratic candidates, according to the Olympian. In a midterm that was supposed to be favoring Republicans, Democrats picked up seats in both chambers of the state legislature. Jeff Pogel of Northwest News Radio. And there's just a warm-up for Northwest News this week for all stories ending the week of December 3rd. We'll be right back. You're listening to Northwest This Week. As we continue, Governor Jay Inslee giving high marks to adult education and mentoring programs here in our state. Pairing cultures and training is proving to be valuable for a state struggling to build up a childhood education workforce. Elisa Espinoza, a recent immigrant, ended up working with Spanish-speaking children. During this experience, I saw myself reflected in all the youth we served. Many of them had been let down by an education system that was not created for them. The PACE program is tailoring childhood education training with the schedules of people working in the field. Governor Jay Ensley. Everybody in this call is a leader on one of the most dynamic things happening in the state of Washington. Mentoring programs are also paying off. It's called Career Connect. Kathy Jackson is with T-Mobile. The full stack developer roles as well as product manager, we are bringing on cybersecurity that gives them the opportunity to actually work in field. The governor helped create both of these projects and he established Results Washington in 2013 to improve state government. John Lobertini, Northwest News Radio. In recent weeks, how many stores have shared with us here at Northwest News Radio about multiple break-ins? Frustrated store owners saying worker morale pretty low because they feel powerless to stop the growing problem of all the retail theft. In a meeting of the state attorney general's organized retail theft task force, Lee Ching Tran, vice president of Viet Markets, says there was a constant crowd outside their Seattle store, which prompted a police emphasis patrol she says didn't address the root of the problem. That dispersed the crowd 
that was gathering there, but it didn't get rid of them. They just moved on to other areas and they still came back, but they're still out there doing what they do. One union leader says workers have been fired for trying to stop shoplifters, while Melissa Elkins with Bellingham's Community Food Co-op joined the chorus of those who say they face near daily threats or violence. And that has definitely added to kind of that undercurrent of just not wanting to approach people. It's much easier to just let it happen than it is to try to stop it. The AG says he's asked the governor for a budget ad of $1.5 million to create a special unit to deal with retail theft. Ryan Harris, Northwest News Radio. It's not money problems forcing one local agency to cut nearly 80 weekday bus trips. Brian Calvert of Northwest News Radio saying a real reason riders will have to make a huge adjustment is this. The timing of the cuts at community transit is strange. To clarify, any time bus routes have to be cut is lousy, but next year, when light rail comes further north, bus routes will be added. So why cut now? Snohomish County transit leaders say they have a shortage of drivers and mechanics. They don't want to advertise certain schedules if there's no way to meet that schedule, one manager tells the Everett Herald. Why so shorthanded? Driver Union President Kathleen Custer says a lot of that has to do with the vaccine mandate implemented as of January 1. We lost a lot of employees because of that. After the agency made the mandate, 59 employees quit or were fired. Brian Calvert, Northwest News Radio. Thank you, Brian. Mass layoffs and an exodus of advertisers are chipping away at the ability of Twitter to function. And now, at least according to the company's new owner, Twitter is at risk of being removed from the Apple App Store. A story we found in the Washington Post. Tato Van Sice sharing some questions and getting answers. Cat, as you know, it's been chaotic at Twitter ever since Elon Musk took over that platform, but he's always been a little dramatic in the things he says and does. What, what has he said about Twitter and Apple recently? Elon Musk has effectively declared war on Apple on Twitter in the past few days. He's gone after the company, claimed that they've threatened to block Twitter from their app store. He's criticized the fees that Apple takes from developers in order to feature their apps and use their payments processors. And he's generally leaned into some of the rhetoric we've heard from conservatives criticizing the company, suggesting that they censor content. And, you know, this all comes, as you just mentioned, we've seen advertisers flee the platform. Musk claims that Apple has mostly paused advertising on its website. And uh, that's a major problem for Twitter because our reporting has shown that Apple is actually the company's top advertiser. Is Tim Cook or anybody else at Apple responding to the things that uh, Elon's been saying? Apple has been radio silent through this entire exchange. And, you know, I, I think that's something that's not really a surprise if you've followed Apple and uh, certainly Tim Cook, who's a very uh, deliberate leader. We don't see, you know, the kind of outbursts from him or uh, responses on Twitter that we're seeing right now with Elon Musk. He's very much, you know, pretty controlled, heavily, you know, leans into using their PR arm. But Apple has not responded at all to this claim that Musk is you know, saying that the company has threatened to ban it from the app store. So it's just not clear, you know, one, if that's true, and two, why Apple would be considering such a change. Um, Obviously, there's been a lot of major changes at Twitter over the past few weeks, so it could really be for many reasons. Now, when you think about what it takes to be allowed on an app store, whether it's Google or, or specifically the Apple app store, what kind of standards are companies expected to meet? So Apple typically has standards where it requires companies to ensure that there's content moderation going on on their services to prevent things like incitement of violence. 
sexual predators, other types of harmful content. Um, the standards aren't very clear. Um, you know, Apple has had kind of what people have described as a like know it when they see it approach to uh, taking down apps. But we've seen this play out in the past, most notably with the app Parler, a social media app that was popular with uh, former President Trump's supporters in the wake of the January 6th insurrection. And we saw um, Apple actually take the step of banning that app from the App Store. Um, But in that instance, Google also made that move. We saw a clear public explanation for why that was done. They said that the apps had violated their policies on incitement of violence. And so it's likely that if there were to be any action against Twitter, we would hear, uh, you know, more from Apple about why they would, you know, make any moves to restrict Twitter downloads. Well, it seems like every evening there's a new chapter in this uh, Twitter chaos, and you can find out much more online with Kat Zakreski and the rest of her tech team there at the Washington Post, WashingtonPost.com. Amazon Web Services has vowed to replenish all the water it uses in its data centers. Server farms consume a lot of water as it is used to cool the rows and rows of computers and other hardware. This has become a problem in places like drought-stricken California, where that water is also needed for irrigation and human consumption. But Bloomberg reports AWS has now pledged to replace all the water it uses by 2030. Now, Amazon declined to say how much water its data centers consume, but did say in 2021 that it uses a quarter liter of water for every kilowatt hour of electricity at its data farms. Jeff Pogela, Northwest News Radio. As we recap and review stories of the past week ending December 3rd, uh, there's this one. After enduring a year of bad publicity, the local owners of a renowned restaurant have closed their doors and donated the property. It's been a rough year for Tim and Marsha McAvoy of Bellingham, owners of the Willows Inn on Lummy Island, known for high-end locally sourced cuisine. A New York Times article had alleged their executive chef fostered a toxic workplace of sexism and racism. Other troubles included a lawsuit alleging wage theft. Now, though, the couple are putting Willows in behind them, donating the restaurant and the land it stands on to Lighthouse Mission Ministries, a Bellingham-based nonprofit. In a press release, Lighthouse CEO Hans Erkinger Davis calls the gift grace itself and a game changer. The property is valued at $2.5 million. Lighthouse is expected to take possession sometime next month. Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio. In our next segment, how many getting their benefits all squared away for the coming year to learn that possibly their insurance and in-network feature could be in jeopardy? And then there was this story. Despite numerous 911 calls, a notorious motel in Arlington will stay open. The city has stopped the effort to close the Smoky Point Motor Inn as calls to police have decreased. Officers responded more than 300 times in 2020, and the first six months of this year, that was down to 62. According to the Everett Herald, nearby property owners reported everything from van to feeling harassed by people staying at the motel. In 2020, Sunlight Company bought the property. Calls to police decreased due in part to improvements made by the new owner. That led the city of Arlington to drop its request for Snohomish County to take custody of the motel. Eric Heinz, Northwest News Radio. Found here on radio at the same time every week on Northwest News Radio, AM 1000, FM 97.7, and available as a podcast anytime you want to grab it. Find it at nwnewsradio.com under podcasts. You're listening to Northwest News this week. Stories ending for the week of December 3rd. I'm Mark Christopher. We'll be right back. You're listening to Northwest This Week with Mark Christopher. 
Let's continue as 19,000 patients of the Poly Clinic and the Everett Clinic may have to find a new care provider next month. To explain, Brian Calvert and more on the deadlock between the clinic's owner and a major insurance provider. In a letter to its subscribers, Regents Blue Shield writes the two providers will become out of network on December 19th because of unprecedented rate increases. Reports speculate that Optum, the operator of the Everett Clinic and the Poly Clinic, wants nearly a 15% increase, though Optum has yet to confirm this or say anything else on the matter. But the Poly Clinic and the Everett Clinic did issue their own statement, quote, supporting our patients with compassionate quality care is our highest priority. We remain hopeful that we will reach an agreement with Regents so patients will have continued access to their trusted doctors and care teams. Brian Calvert, Northwest News Radio. Thank you, Brian. A new study released in the New England Journal of Medicine found a new experimental Alzheimer's drug that can slow the effects of the disease. But there are so-called adverse events associated with the drug. Northwest News Radio's Frank Lindsay went after a story he found in the Washington Post. Daniel, Biogen, along with a Japanese pharmaceutical company, developed this new drug. Can you start by telling us first about the potential benefits of the treatment? The treatment is a drug called Vakanamab. And what it has shown so far in, in a clinical trial is that there is a modest slowing of cognitive decline and, and some functional decline of patients who received the drug relative to receiving a placebo in the trial. So there is decline among both sets of patients, but the decline was, was moderated for the patients who were taking the drug. Now, what sets this particular drug apart from other compounds that are meant to fight Alzheimer's? Well, there are not a lot of them, and there have been decades of drugs that have been been brought forth to to trials and that haven't really made it. And so this is one of the clearest cases that we've seen in many years of a drug that appears to pretty clearly have a benefit, to pretty clearly be able to, to slow some of the effects associated with Alzheimer's disease. They're modest, not enormous effects, but given the, the lack of available treatments on the market, it's something that people are still excited about. Now, as you report, the two patients died while taking the drug during the course of the study. Often, though, Alzheimer's patients are older and have other health concerns. Do we know, are these deaths connected to the drug? Well, they're connected to the drug in as much as the patients were taking the drug at the time that they died. The companies, Biogen and, and Esai, Esai is the one that, that has commented on this, has, has said that they don't believe that the drugs are, are treatment-related. But those deaths have given some concern about the overall safety of the drug, particularly as it relates to patients who may be taking some kind of a blood thinner. And the theory there is that the way that the drug works, it's, it's targeting these tiny proteins in the brain that can form these clumps. And those clumps can attach to blood vessels as well and weaken the walls of the blood vessels, make, make them more susceptible to, to rupture. And so for patients who are on blood thinners or medication that would reduce blood clotting, the theory is that there may be greater risk to those patients when they're on this drug. At this point, is there any idea how much longer it'll be before doctors can have access to this new treatment? Well, there are a couple of events in the near term that will shape that answer. And I think the first thing to look out for is the Food and Drug Administration has set a time in early January to make a decision on accelerated approval for the drug. And then 
there will be some discussions between the regulator and, and the company. The company said it's going to share its, its full data from this latest clinical trial. I think at this stage, it's still going to plan to seek full approval from the FDA. So there are a couple of different events looming in the near term, but based on the results from yesterday, they were they were unveiled at uh, at this Alzheimer's conference. There are a lot of people, certainly people on Wall Street, are, are looking at the data and, and thinking that the chances for approval look pretty good. Chemotherapy you receive before having children could make your future generations more susceptible to disease. We've known for decades that we pass things on through our genes, but Washington State University professor Dr. Michael Skinner says they've learned that's part of a larger picture, like with identical twins, 95% of whom he says get different diseases. So if it was strictly genetics, then essentially they'd get the same disease. But it's not. So the environment has far greater impact on what diseases we get and what we're passing on to our offspring. Skinner says that environmental exposure to toxins like chemo or chemicals in our food at a young age, from teens to early 30s, essentially affects the chemistry that causes certain genes to be turned on or off, opening future generations to different diseases. He says they found those changes passed on in 10 generations of rats and hundreds of generations of plants. Dr. Skinner says it's very important important not to avoid cancer treatment because of this, but instead for young people to consider freezing sperm or eggs before treatment might alter them. Ryan Harris, Northwest News Radio. Thank you, Ryan. A man held at the Marysville jail now may be facing more time behind bars for what he did to two jail officers. According to jail records, the man was in the Marysville jail on misdemeanor allegations, including investigation of possession of drug paraphernalia and trespassing. While according to the Everett Herald, he asked staff last week what he could do to be transferred to the Snohomish County Jail in Everett. After asking the question, police say the inmate spat on two jail officers. Turns out he had acknowledged having hepatitis C when he was booked this month. The man was moved to the Snohomish County Jail, but now faces more charges, including two counts each of investigation of third-degree assault of a police officer and exposing a contagious disease. Those are both misdemeanors. Manda Factor, Northwest News Radio. King County says it will sue the state of Washington over the state's alleged failure to provide mental health care for jail inmates. Corwin Hake of Northwest News Radio takes a closer look. The suit focuses on one jail inmate in particular, Alexander Jay. Jay was jailed and charged with murder and assault earlier this year when a judge ordered he be treated at Western State Hospital. The suit filed by the county prosecutor's office wants a judge to hold the State Department of Social and Health Services in contempt for failing to transport Jay to Western or any other inpatient treatment facility. In general, the county says the agency's unresponsiveness is delaying trials in serious crimes. The suit asks that the county be reimbursed for the cost of providing care to inmates with mental health issues. The county has even named an amount, $219.90 per inmate per day. Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio. In the middle of all the hiring and all the job listings, work from home positions get to an all-time high. We'll get to that story next. But first, there is a lot to do at SeaTac Airport. Grab a meal, get some souvenirs, even listen to live music. But there's an unusual kiosk that could help you save a life. Located near the main food court, you can't miss it. It's a bright red, hands-only CPR kiosk. Jen Massar with the Puget Sound Division of the American Heart Association explains how it works. The training kiosk is really an ATM size, or even smaller than an ATM a little bit, machine. Um, It has a kind of rubber mannequin or torso on the top and a large screen that leads you through the steps to practice 
hands-only CPR right then and there. Since CPR can be critical in saving a life, doubling or even tripling survival rates, Massar says it's a great way to quickly brush up on how to do it. You won't be certified in CPR through this hands-only kiosk, but you will at least get a good reminder. Marina Rockinger, Northwest News Radio. You're in tune to Northwest News this week, ending for the week of December 3rd. We have so much more coming up. You're listening to Northwest This Week, and now Mark Christopher. As a report this past week shared in the Washington Post saying that work-from-home positions are in high demand, but very hard to find right now. But then again, one of our reporters here with a sharp ear and eye at Northwest News Radio found that last part actually may not be true at all. The Post piece could worry some, but there are other sources saying there are plenty of companies still looking to fill work-from-home positions. The pandemic has taught the world as we know it that we can do our jobs from home, and in most cases, have success. Now that companies are returning to the office, there's a part of the workforce saying, uh, no thanks, I'd rather quit and find a job with somebody else where I can continue to work from home. And as it turns out, there are more options than you might think. Making the switch to permanent work from home jobs for good. DeAndre Goodman is with job posting website FlexJobs. Many companies have learned that permanent 100% remote work is the future of work pandemic or not. She's referring to companies like 3M and their unique take on things. The work your way plan lets employees create a work schedule that helps them do their best work from wherever they want, whatever they want. Closer to home, my contacts at the Washington State Department of Transportation say they have a similar, very flexible schedule. And Seattle-based Payscale has just announced it's going all remote. According to the Puget Sound Business Journal, its 750 local employees will work from home permanently as the company sheds its physical office space. Work from home is obviously not an option for just any job, but for anything based in technology, it's proving to be more and more popular. CNBC has released its 15 companies willing to pay you over 100 grand a year, and you get to work from home on that list. CVS Health, Lincoln Financial, Citizen Bank, and United Health Group. So when you hear that there are fewer work from home opportunities these days, it might actually be a case of there are plenty of those jobs. There's just such high demand, these openings aren't posted very long. Brian Calvert, Northwest News Radio. To deal with higher prices, a growing number of holiday shoppers are turning to buy now, pay later installment financing. Splitting a purchase into four equal payments paid over a six-week period may seem like the smart move, but not always. Consumer man Herb Weisbond, a contributing editor at Checkbook.org, sharing this. Complaints are on the rise. Buy now, pay later companies market themselves as a smarter, more consumer-friendly way to pay, with no fees and no interest in most cases. But when you don't have the money to make those payments, that easy financing can result in costly fees or damaged credit. It's a debt trap, the same as any other debt trap. Ed Merzwinski at the consumer group PERG cautions, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Buy now, pay later is not free. It's only free if you follow all the rules understand how it works and make all your payments on time and don't overextend yourself because you've got payments to different companies at different times of the month that add up 
and mess up your budgeting. If you miss a payment, you will eventually end up paying late fees. In fact, a survey in March by LendingTree, a financial services company, found that 42% of those who took advantage of a buy now, pay later offer paid a late fee. Um, I'll never do it again. Robert Boyer, a construction worker in the Seattle area, knows how expensive buy now, pay later can be. He needed expensive shoes for work, but didn't have the $196 in his budget. So he took advantage of a buy now, pay later offer. Boyer lost track of the payments and ended up paying $55 in late fees. The first payment, easy, but you forget about it. It's not like the credit cards, like my credit card, where this day, this comes out, comes right out of your account. No, you have to manually go to it. You have to open up the bill pay. They don't tell you, hey, next week your bill is going to be coming out. You have to manually remember it. When he fell behind in making payments, the Buy Now, Pay Later company withdrew the entire balance due from his checking account all at once without any notice. Bam, there it went, $150 right out of my account. It really hurt my finances at that point. Annie Milliburn, personal loans expert at NerdWallet, says Buy Now, Pay Later financing makes a big purchase seem smaller. Right. That's what buy now pay leader companies and retailers are betting on when they make you these offers is that you'll go in and add more items to your cart or that you'll maybe get more than you had initially planned to get and that they'll make more money because they made you this offer to basically make the purchase smaller today. Missing a payment, which is easy to do when you have several pay later loans going at the same time, can be costly. Most buy now pay later companies charge a late fee. It's usually around seven or eight dollars per missed payment. And then say you link your debit card to it and you overdraw your bank account, you could see an overdraft fee from your bank. You could also be sent to collections depending on the buy now pay later company, which also has effects on your credit score. Buy now pay later can be a sensible way to shop in some cases if you follow all the rules and know what you're doing. You don't want to overdo it. So to avoid overdoing it, we recommend using it one time, paying it off in full and then going back and using it again if you want. So don't go and, you know, use it at one retailer, use it at another retailer, kind of stick to one, pay it off, take care of it, and then go to the next one if you want. Now, I just wrote a big story about the pitfalls of buy now, pay later for checkbook.org. You'll find it posted on the homepage of my website, consumerman.com. Herb Weisbaum, Northwest News Radio. Well, by now, you've seen the fever gripping Seattle over the World Cup fun that's been going on for the past week or so. And what we call an ancient mariner is pitching in that gray ballpark in the sky. A couple of sports stories that we got to share, and we'll get to those. Solar Farms' plan for the Yakima area will help the state meet its clean energy goals if planners can satisfy the project's many detractors. With plenty of room to spread out, the fields of solar panels along Highway 24 near the town of Moxie could be almost endless. But Jess Mosley, spokesperson for Cypress Creek Renewable LLC, tells KNDU News they're limiting the project to 1,600 acres with the intent to reduce the acreage and be mindful of land features. That's of little comfort to Michael Tobin with the Northwest Conservation District. Eight miles of the open 12.5 miles along Highway 24 would be changed forever. The Yakima Herald Republic reports county commissioners are unhappy the state has expedited approval of this and a second 1,600-acre solar array. They're seeking a moratorium for further site review. Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio. 
Tell a friend, a co-worker, and your neighbor if they need a place to catch up here to the stories of the past week. Obviously, it's a busy time and we have so many schedules. Well, this is a program where you can catch up. It's Northwest News this week, ending for the week of December 3rd. And by the way, we archive all these programs at our website of all the weeks that have gone by. Simply go to our website at nwnewsradio.com. I'm Mark Christopher. We'll be right back. Northwest This Week continues. All right, we got to grab a couple of sports stories for right now as we see our hockey team, Seattle Kraken, doing so well this year over what they did last year in their uh, first year in the NHL. And we've had some fun with the Mariners, of course, and we're hanging on for the Seahawks. But, boy, soccer fever has gripped Seattle beyond the latest team USA World Cup match. To explain it, and a real fan himself, Ryan Harris, looks ahead to 2026. The first major event the Emerald City needs to prep for is Major League Baseball's 2023 All-Star Game. With plenty of work still to be done, says Seattle Sports Commission President Beth Knox, for businesses and the city. To make sure that the city is welcoming and safe and clean, all of those things are in progress right now. Peter Tomazawa, co-owner and president of business for Seattle Sounders FC, tells me they're proud and excited that the city will take the world stage, which he says their Champions League win cemented. You know, Every other city could only say, we can promise that we can pull off an event like the Champions League final. We actually were able to show that we could sell it out, that people would come and they would love to watch an international match. And of course, hosting both All-Star and World Cup events will be a huge boost for local businesses. Ryan Harris, Northwest News Radio. Now for that ancient Mariner story I mentioned here a bit ago. Pitching in the great ballpark in the sky, Bill Swartz of Northwest News Radio fondly remembers a man who gave Northwest baseball and some special memories. Bill? Gaylord Jackson Perry grew up the son of North Carolina farmers. He turned down numerous college basketball scholarship offers to pursue his other athletic passion. <laughs> I just wanted to play ball, you know. In 1958, the San Francisco Giants signed the right-handed pitcher to a $90,000 contract. And three years later, he was playing for Tacoma, led the Pacific Coast League in wins and innings pitched. Endurance was a great source of pride. I pitched 16 innings when I in the old Cincinnati ballpark. He comes over at the 14 and he says, well, How you doing? I says, Well, I'm going to pitch two more innings. Perry was known for doctoring the baseball, swiping Vaseline off his eyebrow or bill of the cap. During a 2017 Root Sports interview, Gaylord says some of those gestures were meant just to psych out the batter. I just started getting my own routine right. and go through it. And I never. Every night, I just say, well, what are you talking about? You know, I, I don't know what you're talking about. In 1982, Gaylord Perry was signed by Seattle, where the 44-year-old earned the nickname Ancient Mariner. Close to 300 career victories, he got advice from the last man to do it early win. I had a, a lot of talk about that with him, like it was what it was all about and all, and uh, it was very helpful. I got some inside information, and really, I really enjoyed it. He said, go out and enjoy it. Have fun. Laugh and tell jokes, whatever you want to do. And on May 6th at the Kingdome, some of us were witness to Major League Baseball history. Gaylord Perry, one out away from 300. The 2-1 pitch to Randolph. Swung on, bound ball to Cruz. This should do it. He's got it. It's over. Gaylord has 300. It was a great milestone to get. Uh, you know, I worked very hard for it. I had good teammates. I had some of the best in the world in San Francisco, Mays and McCovey and Cepeda and Marichelle. Hall of Famer Gaylord Jackson Perry died at his home at the age of 84. 
I'm Bill Schwartz, Northwest News Radio. Well, as you can tell, it's been a busy week already here as we get rolling into the month of December of 2022. And uh, just some of the great stories we didn't want you to miss out on. Northwest News This Week, heard each week here on radio, by the way, as you're listening to Northwest News Radio, AM 1000 and FM 97.7. Also as a podcast, as I mentioned, at nwnewsradio.com. Politicast, LifeBeat, Puget Sound Now, a few others that we feature at that website. And as I always mention, if you enjoy the program and like it as a podcast, we hope you'll share a rating and a review. It helps us, and it's very simple to do at Apple Podcast. Northwest News This Week, produced by Bill O'Neill, editor and tech advisor, is Painter Webb. I'm Mark Christopher. On behalf of us all here in a very busy newsroom, we thank you for listening to Northwest News This Week. Happy holidays. Enjoy this time of year, and we'll see you next week.